I'm going to guess if, if your family uh, is anything like mine, you have uh, walked through some serious flu or cold or virus or bug or all of the above uh, during this winter season. Anybody else in that boat? Uh, we, we are kind of wrapping up our second or third round of that. Uh, I, I was spared this time. I, I got it around Thanksgiving. But even this time, it's just, you know, you watch the kids who are energetic all the time. You know, they're running around, can't stop, and they're just like, ugh. And, uh, and you know they're going to get better, right? But they're just nothing. They have no energy. You know, you try to feed them. They don't want to eat. Um, I know in my experience, I was sick over Thanksgiving, and I just didn't want to move. Just taking whatever medicines I could find, kill the headache, that kind of thing. But then what? You know, a couple weeks later, I'm feeling pretty good. Of course, the kids, they recover right away, and they've got the energy and enthusiasm, just that feeling that you get after you've been sick, and now you're healthy again. You know, that, that, that thankfulness doesn't last long enough, really. Wouldn't it be great to just always kind of feel like I just got better, and now I'm really better? There's something to that, and so as we start our new series, it's, it's about spiritual fitness, and I want, I want you to catch that same vision where, you know, you know what it's like to be physically sick. You might know what it's like to be spiritually sick. Um, but if you get spiritually healthier, you're, you're going to find yourself feeling a lot better. Not just feeling a lot better, but living a lot better. And as we dig into God's Word, our new series is about spiritual fitness, calling it Grace on Purpose. And our first passage is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. In particular, verses 7 and 8, but we're going to look at 6 through 10. Uh, it's all part of the same unit. We're going to look today at, at, at the common sources of spiritual sickness. And after getting the bad news, then we're going to look at, hey, how do we get spiritually healthy? And this is just the beginning. Uh, we're going to, Lord willing, cover this topic in various forms over the next seven weeks. So I hope you can join us through that time. But today, would you please read with me 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10, and pay special attention to verses 7 and 8. This is God's Word. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. This is God's Word. Lord, we, we thank You for Your Word. and We pray You would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts that it would be more than ink on paper, more than pixels on our screens, more than sound waves bouncing off our eardrums, but it would penetrate to our hearts. It would find the sickness and make it healthy. It would encourage us and challenge us to do what part we may in that 
mysterious process. Would you work in that, at least the beginning of it today, in each of our hearts? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this passage, we're jumping into the middle of 1 Timothy, literally almost the middle of the book. And it's, the broader context is older, wiser Paul, after planting churches and pastoring and evangelizing for many decades, is now passing on some wisdom to younger Timothy. We don't know how old either of them are precisely, but Timothy's clearly younger. He's serving in a church that has some challenges. And Paul writes to share some things with him. And this is really the first part where, where Paul gets really direct about, you know, Timothy, this is what you need to do. But the things he shares with him are the things that would make us healthy too. And as we look at it, I want you to see that here, the focus is is life. It's about spiritual life. We see that in verse 8. He talks literally about this present life. Uh, And that means, yeah, physical life. He talks about bodily discipline, about our physical bodies. But he also talks about the life to come. He's talking about more than just you know, getting enough food and water and exercise and rest and relationships, all those kind of things, right, that we need physically and emotionally. He's talking about the deeper realities of spiritual life. And he's talking to us about a fuller life, a life that, that if we get healthier in this area, we'll feel even better than when we get over a physical sickness and ailment, right? A life that will be more than just feeling better, but will actually live better. Because he says here that spiritual fitness benefits every aspect of your life. Now and in the future. So our encouragement is to to make every effort to get healthy. And you will live, not merely survive which is what a lot of us are doing, especially coming out of the pandemic, I think. We're just getting by. Uh, From what I've read, you know, this year, maybe 2023, you know, the people who predict things are saying this this might be the closest we get back to normal. You know, we've been through the the pandemic and the shock, and maybe now we're beginning to heal a little bit from trauma and be able to to live. So what better time here to focus on, on, on the spiritual dimension of that? And at the beginning of a new year, to just assess where we are Because this life is not all there is. And we've been through a lot physically, you know, illnesses and colds, pandemics, those kind of things, uh, struggles economically and all that. But this present life is not all there is. There's a life to come. So attending to the body and, and, you know, making resolutions about losing weight, which I have one. I I, want to lose some weight this year. Uh, I need to get healthier that way. Um, You know, those are good. That's fine. But even more important here is, Paul says, to discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. The end of verse 7. Verse 8, bodily discipline is only of a little profit. It has some value, is what that means. But godliness is profitable for all things. Other translators put it as, you know, in every way. Since it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. Now, what, what has value in every way is training for the purpose of godliness. Now, don't tune out, you know, if, if you're not familiar with churchy language, godliness, you know, that sounds very religious. In fact, it, it is a religious kind of word. It's not a word you use out there in the world every day. It, it is, in essence, it's about, godliness is about respect for God 
that works itself out in what you do and what you don't do. That's, that's a summary of godliness. And in fact, sometimes it's translated as piety or religion or devotion. Those words might help you get a sense of it. Uh, an, another way of thinking about it is uh, you know, what comes out when things happen, especially hard things, challenging things. If we're growing in godliness, things that honor God will come out. Things that show we respect God will come out. And, and an interesting experienced this this past week with the, the, the near tragedy of the player, was it for the Bills? I can't remember now, uh, named, named Hamlin. You know, he had a cardiac arrest there on the football field on Monday night. Everybody's watching, all the teams. It's scary. They're resuscitating him, bringing out the, the paddles and doing CPR. The, the man literally died, heart stopped a couple of times there on the field. I think he's in recovery. He's, he's responding now. But the response to that had a lot of aspects of godliness. One article in the New York Times said, the headline was, Hamlin's collapse prompted a nationwide display of public piety. We could say public godliness. Even on the field, as that was happening, dozens of football players, I think almost all of them, were huddled around both teams as one of the team chaplains led them in prayer. That's piety, that's godliness, and in the moment, I mean, can you doubt the sincerity of it? It's just a response. This guy is dying. Where do we go? Well, if you're, if you're working in godliness, you're going to go to God, right? You're going to give attention to God, and, and it's going to be instinctive almost, and that's our goal. Godliness, you might say, is simply a concerted effort to live life consistently acknowledging that God exists. Godliness is about God's existence, and living with that in our reality all the time, growing in it. Okay, none of us do it perfectly, but the, the ideal of growing more fit spiritually is to more and more acknowledge God's existence in our life. To make that effort to get healthy and, and you'll live, not merely survive. You'll live. You'll not only feel better when you're spiritually fit, but you will also live better. You will love people better. You will make better decisions. You'll spend your time better. You'll handle conflict better. It will help you in every way, as Paul says here. It holds promise for the future and for the life to come. Discipline yourself for godliness. It's profitable in all things. So how do we get it? Okay, this is part of the beginning of the journey. We're not going to cover it all, but we're going to set the groundwork today. And the first thing we need to do is understand, well, what, what could make us sick spiritually? And in particular today, what are the things, that, what, what are three sources of spiritual sickness today? That's what we're going to identify. And, and I root them in this passage, and I don't think it's a stretch to say these three sources of spiritual sickness are present here in this passage. If you look at verse 7, he says, Paul says, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. Have nothing to do with. That, that's, that in, in the Greek there, that's one word. And it's a command. If you have the New American Standard translation, there, it says in the margin, a little asterisk or whatever, one of those dagger thingies, it, it could be reject. You could sum up those words with reject worldly favors or, or decline or refuse those worldly fables. Stay away from them. What are worldly fables? 
the sense is, is, is pointless, worthless, idle, chit-chat kind of thing. Um, familiar stories or myths or legends, things that, that sound kind of could be true, but nobody really knows. And in the end, they don't really do anything good for you. In fact, if you look for other places in the scripture that talk about these worldly fables, uh, they, they, they are a path to ungodliness. They are a constant distraction for God's people, leading us away from the real important things. And so Paul says, stay away from that. Reject it. They're fit only for old women. That sounds you know, kind of like he's uh, slamming or dissing elderly women. It's, there's some cultural stuff there, there yeah, sure. But essentially he's saying, you know, these are like old wives' tales. Right? These are things that just don't, don't give much to life. You could live very well without these conversations. The chit-chat, uh, bordering on gossip. And so what, you know, unpacking the, the beginning of that verse there, that's the groundwork. Uh, exploding a little more, you know, what, what are the sources of spiritual sickness? The first one I want to share is that it's going with the masses. Going with everyone rather than God. Going with the masses uh, focusing on what everyone else thinks is important. You're, you're not going to get spiritually healthy if that's what you're doing. You're not going to get spiritually healthy if you're going along with everyone else, following along with everyone else. Jesus calls you to a different path. In fact, when he speaks of it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, he says, enter through the narrow gate. The gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it if you're going along with everyone with the many you're setting yourself up for sickness. That doesn't mean to withdraw and isolate yourself, right? It means to, to pay attention. How much are you letting news and talk shows and your social media feeds, how much are you letting your friends and your followers uh, on various social medias influence you? Right? We now have a culture of influencers. What does that mean? We're a bunch of influencees that we will follow. What are they buying and sponsors? They make money off of sponsors, right? Selling products, selling you and I. Social media is free because we're the product. And we need to be very careful of following along with everyone, going with the masses. That's our first source of sickness. Uh, we're not gonna be spiritually healthy if we're going along with the crowd. The second source is pursuing hidden truth rather than what God has revealed. Pursuing hidden truth rather than what God has revealed. Look at verse 6 uh, where Paul speaks of the positive. Verse 6, 1 Timothy 4. In pointing these things out to the brethren, sharing these with your church, Timothy, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the word of faith 
and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. Rather than following influencers, follow the sound doctrine and faith, Timothy, that you have heard. And the contrast we read and have seen so far in verse 7, but have nothing to do with worldly fables. Reject that worthless stuff to focus on the sound doctrine. One commentator says that the, uh, the word order of the Greek in verse 7 puts together the myths and tales against the faith and good teaching and makes a stark contrast. You know, what he has in view is don't, don't be searching for those hidden truths over there. Go with what God has revealed. God has spoken and we can know it. Uh, that commentator says some ideas or proposals are so far beyond the pale of plausibility that a pastor and regular people has no time or business giving them the dignity of extensive attention. He says, Paul's view in his example is to focus on and promulgate or, or spread the truth of Christ and the faith, not to be distracted with undue attention to aberrant beliefs. What are we spreading? What are we zealous about sharing with other people? What those people in Washington are doing or what our latest uh, social media person that we're following is doing, what the new shoes are. You know, those things are okay, but it's a relative level of thing. Where is our time and our emphasis? Are they distracting us? And to what degree are they keeping us from the things that will make us healthy? What, how are they making us sick? That same commentator says from this verse, there are contemporary analogies, for example, in conspiracy theories, so-called urban legends, and endless issue-oriented and often polemical or hostile argumentative blogs and websites from which most pastors find it wise to recuse themselves. Very often, we pursue the hidden truths rather than what God has revealed because we hear and we follow someone who says they know the real deal of what's happening at that church over there with the teaching of this guy over there or down there or behind the scenes. And it's interesting and if, even if it's in someone who claims to be a Christian, it can have the feeling for us of being pious or godly, that we're trying to discern error, that we're trying to uh, keep ourselves free from harm. And I, I tell you, I don't, I don't think there's a greater and more subtle scheme of the evil one than the ways that we have bought into it as Bible-believing Christians to follow so many other things and so many other people besides the Word of God. That we seek the hidden rather than what God has revealed. You know, people tell me about this thing and that thing and the conspiracies and that, I'm like, I don't really have time to investigate that. I'm going to go for what's healthy to the best I can. I'm not perfect you know, at all. But I want to feed on the Word of God. And you know what? The thing is, if you're feeding on the Word of God, if you're, if you're looking at what is good, you're, you're going to discern what is bad. In fact, that's our third sickness, is focusing on what's wrong, especially if you can't even change your influence, more than what is right. You know, if we're to discipline and train ourselves, we're kind of like athletes, right? That's the picture. Com competing as athletes, we're training, we're disciplining ourselves, we're in the gym working out, we're in the practice ring sparring, you know, we're hitting the speed bag if we're a boxer, we're, we're doing uh, wind sprints and stuff if we're a soccer player, you know, whatever it is, we're running the drills, we're practicing. 
And so if that's the analogy here, then sometimes we focus on what's wrong. We would be like an athlete who is more concerned with what the other team is doing wrong just to, to blame them, or even worse, what their teammates are doing wrong. More than looking at their own game tape, looking at their own practices, and they're improving their own performance. When we focus on what's wrong, that's what we're doing. We're distracted from growing ourselves. We're distracted from getting healthy. We're distracted. We make ourselves weaker in combating the wrong if we focus on the wrong and don't go to what is right. College basketball legend, uh, multiple NBA champion Bill Bradley, never played for a good team like the Sixers, but uh, he played somewhere else over there. Um, he did win championships. He was a legend in college basketball. And went to Princeton, and they were resurfacing the floor of the Princeton gym when he was in college, so they had to go practice somewhere else. And Bill Bradley had a really good jump shot, you know, 10, 12, 14 feet. He would sink them more than not. Very, very accurate shooter. So he's there in that other gym and takes his first six shots. Every one of them, clang, off the rim, back out. Looked like me, except I probably wouldn't even hit the rim. Like clang off the rim, clang out off the rim, clang. It's like stops to think. He just drains the next five. Swish, swish. He turns to somebody who was there with him and says, You know what? That rim is an inch and a half too low. Inch and a half too low. Later that week, somebody went back and measured. He was wrong. It was an inch and a quarter. <laughs> he was within a quarter of an inch on a 10-foot high rim, knowing it was off, because he had spent that much time with the right thing, shooting the right way, practicing those drills on the court, playing in games, that he knew where it should be. And when his shot didn't make it, he didn't say, I'm messed up. He said, oh, there's something wrong here. What do I need to adjust to deal with what's wrong here? That's That's... That's the goal for you and I, brothers and sisters, that we get so good at living, that we grow our spiritual health and godliness, that we see the wrong. You know, the greatest resistance you can have to temptation in a sexual area is to love your wife well, brothers. That, to, to focus on what is good and what you have in every area of life, to grow in gratitude and thankfulness for what we have, to appreciate what God has given it steers us away from coveting. It steers us away from so many brokennesses that we would focus on what is right. Please don't hear me saying that, you know, we shouldn't develop discernment, that we shouldn't pay attention to bad teaching and, and, and be aware of it and even make it known if we see it. What I'm saying is the way you'll ever be able to do that well is by spending time in the right way. If you put all these things together, the three sicknesses, three sources, they're essentially about distraction, right? They are things that would divert us from health. They would lead us down the road into spiritual sickness. And spiritual health is not going to happen when you're doing those things. They're necessary sometimes, but more often than not, where we ought to be spending our time is in the positives, in the health and in those places. So how do you know if you're going off the rails? How do you know when you're going astray and you're getting distracted? A beginning of a new year, this is a great time to do this. Please consider it. Do it if you can. Assess 
at this time how you are spending your time. Just take a moment. If you have a calendar, you know, if you put your appointments in a phone, or if you just think about your week, or even just this week, pay attention to where you spend your time. Are, are you spending time in growing healthy, or are you getting distracted? You know, using the athletic analogy, you know, are, are you spending more time complaining about your teammates, about the coach, you know, about the owner? By the way, that would be God, okay? You know, coach, church leaders, pastors, you know, teammates, church members, you know, <laughs> fans. I don't know. Think about that. I don't know what that analogy would be, who are the fans would be. But, you know, where are you spending your time? What has... Number two, what, what, you know, what has your mental energy and, and emotion? What's directing it? What gets you angry? What gets you happy? Give some thought to what you're consuming, how you feel when you're scrolling through your social media or whatever. Look for where... Your mental energy and emotions are focused on your ministry areas, your personal growth, the growth of people you can influence. You know, bring it in a little closer. Where am I distracted from just spending more time with the Lord or praying, uh, loving my wife better, serving my kids, my family, my church? Am I distracted by even good things? You know, work and sports and fun things. And where are those places where God would have me to serve that I might grow? And that's always going to involve stretching. It's always, you know, it's always going to involve some soreness when you, when you step out a little bit. So pay attention to those sources of spiritual sickness. Assess your time, your energy, your emotion. And then number two here, focus on these two sources of spiritual health. There are two sources of spiritual health that Paul lays out here. Verse 7, he says very simply, On the other hand, you know, rather than these other things, have nothing to do with worldly favors, uh, worldly fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline yourself. Discipline yourself, exercise, practice, get in the gym is the picture. Exercise, work hard. As a metaphor, the word has a tendency to mean self-discipline, self-control, making yourself obey, commanding your own heart. The number one source of spiritual health is your effort, in other words. Number two is with it. We'll talk about it in a minute. But you have to make an effort. If you want to get spiritually healthy, you have to make an effort. Hebrews 12, 11. All discipline, a different word for discipline there, more about leaning towards punishment, uh, rebuke, you know, the rod, that kind of discipline. Hebrews 12, 11. All discipline for the moment. Learning new things, whatever. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. You know, discipline brings some grief, he's saying. Yet to those who have been trained by it, that's our word, discipline, by it, 
Afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Discipline's unpleasant. No one likes it. I mean, who really likes sore muscles and pain? I like having done the things, right? And that way, I do kind of like sore muscles or, or whatever because it's like, oh, I did it. I don't enjoy the doing very often, especially if it's challenging and if, if I'm out of shape, it's super hard. But afterwards, there's a benefit. And if we do this, the same analogy spiritually, right? Afterwards, the benefit is, is this spiritual peace, this fruit, just like eating right, you know, working out, getting sleep, all those kind of things, drinking water. There's very real things we can do to improve our spiritual health. There are things to make an effort on that if you don't, you will be less healthy, maybe even sick. But if you do them, you'll get healthier. And these are the things that we will talk about, Lord willing, over the next seven or so weeks in this series. Prayer, Bible, worship, serving, fasting, using your resources, your skills, abilities, gifts, finances. You know, there are others like witnessing. We'll talk about that in a different series coming up later. Um, and this is not an exhaustive list, but those are the things we're going to hit. And they will require some effort. I've been reading about this topic now for months. And it's called broadly the spiritual disciplines. Uh, it's called the means of grace. These things we're talking about. They, there's effort in it. You know, all the language has this idea of there's an effort. And so as we enter into the series, and even today, I, I hope you realize that what you get out of it, and I'm really excited about it. I think it has such potential. I'm looking forward to some real personal application for myself, some real practical application. I think it's going to be beneficial for me, for us, but we're only going to get out of it the effort we put into it. We're going to have to make an effort. Don't hear that as this is the way that you please God. Don't hear that as this is the way that you can earn God's favor. Don't hear it as this is a duty or an obligation. Oh, now I'm going to have to listen to the sermon about how I ought to pray more, how, how I ought to witness more. I'm just going to feel guilty and beat down. If you really understand the second source of spiritual health, you're actually going to be energized. You're going to want to make the effort. It's still going to be hard but you're going to want to make the effort. Essentially, basically, what the, what the effort in disciplines is all about is the means to pursue God's grace. And the reason I call this series Grace on Purpose is that these are things we can do that put us in a place where God's grace works and magnifies itself and multiplies us. It's, it's where we go to meet God, essentially. To, it's, like, it's like eating. It's like drinking. It's like breathing. If we make the effort to put the fork with the food in our mouth, to tip the water bottle to our lips, right? We make the effort to go to the gym. These are all things that take advantage of the opportunity. God has given us the same things in the spiritual realm, similar things in the spiritual realm. We have to make the effort. And so I'm asking you, get serious about your spiritual fitness this year. Get serious about your spiritual fitness this year. Make the effort. Commit now to make the effort. Commit to doing something this week, even if it's small. Just one thing this week. Get yourself a victory this week to say, you know what? I've been thinking about starting a Bible reading plan. Well, stop looking at the different gym equipment and buy the Bible reading plan. You get that mixed a couple metaphors there, right? 
pick a, pick a Bible reading plan and just start it. Just even, even get up a little earlier. Set your alarm five minutes earlier. and I'm going to get up when it goes off. And I'm just going to read the Bible for five minutes. You know, do these kind of things. Talk to the person. Ask that person you want to pray with to pray with you. But that's not all we have to do. Because it's not just your effort that brings about spiritual health. It's God's grace. Verse 10. God's grace. It is, verse 10 says, for this we labor and strive because we've fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. We've fixed our hope on the living God, not the spiritual disciplines, not prayer and Bible and fasting and worship and witnessing. That's not our hope. Our hope is in the living God. If your hope is not in the living God, you're not going to have life. You're actually going to suck yourself dry as you try to do those other things. Your hope has to be in the living God, who is the Savior of all men. And that's a little bit weird. You're like, was well, it saying he's going to save everybody? The, the sense there in those days for that word Savior, it was much broader than we think of it. You know, we hear Savior, we just think Jesus, S with, you know, a capital S, as the text says here. Savior was, was rescue. Deliver. Get somebody out of a bad situation. So I think there's a double meaning here that Paul's going for in a sense. He's saying God is the Savior of all men. He rescues everybody. How does he rescue everybody? We're not dead and in hell right now. We got to live, in fact, even though Adam and Eve sinned and should have died on the spot, God was gracious to them. God is, is a rescuer. He continues to spare you, and there's other ways he has as well. Even if you don't know God in a personal way, he has rescued and saved you countless times. Think about how stupid I was as an unsaved young man and the things I did that God rescued me from. But he says, in a special way, he's a savior of believers, those who put their faith in him. He will set them free. So if you want to get spiritually healthy, you have to answer the first question, is God my hope? Or am I trusting in my own works, in my own efforts? Am I thinking, I got to make myself right with God, or I never could make myself right with God? You need to make God your hope, to make Jesus your savior to believe that the grace of God has appeared and it brings rescue to all if we would just put our faith in him, set you free. This is the one who is your hope. He is the only one who can set you free from harmful desires, from destructive influences, from demonic powers. Only God. And he uses means. In fact, God is using his spirit and his word right now as you sit here to work in your heart, to work in my heart. He will use your Bible reading if you come at it from this perspective of God, you're my hope. And you say, this will help me. I'm going to try it. God will use your fasting. If you say, God, you're my hope. And you say fasting works in these ways. And we'll talk about that, Lord willing. God, you're my hope. So I'm going to witness because you say that's a blessing. But you have to have. And maybe before you do any of those things, you just literally say that. God, you're my hope. I'm not trusting in this act, in this means that you provided. I'm, I'm hoping, Lord, that it will connect me to you because you're my hope. 
The means of grace are kind of like an IV tube that connects us to heaven. You know, they're dripping in the vein as we try to shamble around and pull that little IV thing around as we go through, right? That's the image. We're weak, we are sick, God is supplying the health that we need, and he works in a mysterious way where as we do that, he multiplies it in ways that we just won't ever understand. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2.12 and 13, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. Work out, for God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. These two sources of spiritual health, your effort, God's grace, right? They go together. Putting them together with an understanding of the three sources of sickness, following the masses rather than God, looking for those hidden truths rather than what God has revealed. What's my third one? Focusing on what's wrong rather than what's right. You put those all together, brothers and sisters, you'll get spiritually healthy. You'll grow. You know, the next time you go to your spiritual doctor, you'll get a smiley face. And even before that, you'll feel better. But, but, but that's not even the best sign, really. The best sign is you're not only going to feel better, you're going to live better. You will find yourself responding differently and loving people better making better decisions. You'll find yourself resisting temptations that you fell into before. You'll, you'll find people just encouraged by you. You'll smile more. You'll have more joy. If you make the effort to get healthy, you're going to live, not merely survive. You, you remember the movie WALL-E, uh, Pixar, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago? All of humanity, you know, so much waste that we piled up trash all over the place and ruined the earth, right? So humanity had to go off in these cruise ship, spaceship things. Just for the short term was the idea, you know, until the robots we leave behind can clean the earth. And so we're all on these ships, and the story is about one particular ship called the Axiom and the captain on there and this little robot, Wally, is a trash compactor. Anyway, there's a scene at the end of the movie, near the end of the movie, where you know, the captain and everybody on the ship has just been sitting in lounge chairs that are automated, just cruising around, getting bigger and bigger. They barely have any bones, right? They don't walk. They're just flesh. And the, the captain has this hope of new life because a, a robot came back from Earth with a little green plant in a boot. He says, there's life on Earth. We need to go back to Earth. And the autopilot computer controlling the ship was programmed back at the beginning to override the order to go back and say, never go back. There's no hope. There's never going to be any life. The planet's ruined. Don't ever come back. And the computer just keeps to that. And so the captain says, you know, computer, autopilot, auto, we want to go home. Take us home. And he says, no. But auto, there's life on Earth. We need to go back. And auto says, on the axiom, you will survive. And the captain says, I've never done anything. I've done nothing with my life. Nobody on the ship does anything. We just sit around and eat. We're just blobs, basically. He says, I don't want to survive. I want to live. I'm willing to take this chance. I'm willing to make an effort. I'm, I'm willing to get up on my wobbly legs that are all flesh, barely any bone, to live. 
Brothers and sisters, that's the image for you and I. You know, some of us are physically more blobby than others. Spiritually, we're all kind of blobby. You know, that's, do you want to live? That's the picture here. Do you want to live? Do you want to live fully? Do you want to live with more hope to really live? Or do you just want to survive? Because if you want to live, God has provided for us this grace if we will pursue it on purpose. God will meet us in this. I'm so excited about this series. To put yourself in a place where God will work, humbly relying on him and yet making that effort. Man, having that focus. I hope you'll join me. This week, think about it, you know, assess your life. Where am I, you know, allowing some sickness in? Where, where do I need to focus on the pause of more health? And commit to taking some effort, relying and hoping in God's grace. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much this new year and then the opportunity it always brings to, to get a new start. Lord, I, I pray that you would guard our hearts from the discouragement that even before we step out, it's already talking. That soundtrack in our minds says, you won't do it, you'll fail, why bother trying? And maybe it's, maybe it's a parent's voice in the past, maybe it's just circumstances, but always, Lord, it's our own voice ultimately. Would you quiet that voice? Would you encourage us, give us an extra measure of your spirit? to be honest about the sickness that's within us, the distractions, and give us the desire, Lord, to live. Not only feel better, but to live better. To pursue that health that you alone can provide as we make the effort to take advantage of what you provide. We pray you would do that in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.